0: You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Richard's style is very unique, where he shares the message of the gospel unlike anyone else. It's real, refreshing, focused, and fun. Whether you find yourself in a good place, maybe in a difficult place, or possibly even in a very lonely place, let me encourage you that you've come to the right place. Now, if you're not able to stick around with us for all of today's talk, you can always listen to, download, and even share this entire message with a friend right from our website, RichardEllisTalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard
1: Ellis. The title of today's message is "What If." A lot of questions in the world, and "If" is one of the most troubling. What if I get sick? What if I can't pay my bills? What if I lose my business? What if I lose all of my savings in retirement? What if life is never the same? What if faith is really fiction and there's nothing to it? What if I never really find happiness? What if I never get married? What if I can't have children? What if my spouse never changes? What if my kids never turn to God? What if I die? And ultimately, what if I don't end up in heaven? Certainty can quickly turn to uncertainty. Golfers sometimes get something called the yips where they can't putt anymore, and we sometimes get the ifs where we are paralyzed with fear. One of the guys in the church sent me this just the other day, and it's very timely. It's from back in 1527. A deadly plague hit Martin Luther's town of Wittenberg, and he wrote a letter to a friend whether one should flee from a deadly plague to Reverend Dr. John Hess, explaining how churches should deal with such complicated circumstances, and this is what he wrote. I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected me to do, and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See this as such a God-fearing faith, because it is neither brash nor foolhardy, and does not tempt God." I'd like you to turn with me to what some people call the 911 of the Bible, and it's in Psalm 91. And this is a powerful passage if you're in a time of need, and especially if you're facing the ifs of life. In verse 1, he says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. If you go back to those first few verses, what did he say? I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. So the question is, if he is your refuge and if he is your fortress, then you're gonna be protected. If you're not, and you're not saying of the Lord that that's who he is, Then you can't say, my God, in him I will trust. You've got to trust him. And then he goes into, he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness." nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes you shall look and see the reward of the wicked because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. And as you recall, one of the temptations of Jesus, the devil's trying to get him to jump, you know, he'll give his angels charge over you. He said, don't tempt the Lord your God with that. It's not that they won't, it's just you don't tempt him with that. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon a lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Another powerful passage is in Isaiah chapter 41, beginning in verse 8. And this is written to Israel. People say, well, that's in the Old Testament. But things that are written to God's people in the Old Testament, that is not nullified. We are his children, bought and paid for by his son's blood. So he says, but you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Then I'd also like us to look at Matthew chapter 6. These are very simple, but very powerful verses in terms of worry and fear and the what ifs of life. And that's a pretty simple question, but a lot of people really think that God cares more about nature, more about birds and animals than he does even people. If you are a child of God, bought and paid for, when Jesus died on the cross, then he cares about you. He is going to take care of you. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? You don't get any taller by worrying. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, for they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. So what's the promise? You seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, his rule and reign in your life, his righteousness, not your own. And what happens? All of these things mentioned before Will be added to you. He will take care of those basic things. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I was doing a little research and trying to figure out some things about fear, and I've never even heard of this, didn't know it was a thing, but there is actually a phobophobia. And phobophobia is the fear of fears. I am advocating for nomophobia. The king of kings removes those fears, so there's nomophobia. Now, actually, I thought that was cute and funny and looked it up, and there's actually nomophobia. And you won't believe what nomophobia is. It's believe it or not, nomophobia is a term describing a growing fear of being without a mobile device or beyond mobile phone contact. So no more mobile is the fear. John chapter 14 Verse 1, and then we'll jump down to verse 25. Jesus starts this whole chapter. He knows they're concerned about him leaving. He knows they're not 100% sure what's about to happen, but he starts to talk to them about the Holy Spirit and comforting them. And in John chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Why did he say don't let your heart be troubled? Because our hearts get troubled. We start worrying about stuff. We start thinking about the what-ifs. Down in verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid." It's one thing to just say, I give you peace. But he says, literally, I give you my peace. Nobody has more peace. He literally is peace. And if he gives you peace, you can have peace. And when he says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid, you don't have to be afraid. I love Romans chapter eight. If you'll go over there, there's a tremendous book, obviously, in chapter, and we're going to jump in here, Romans eight, verse 38. And I love the way Paul puts this in terms of something that he actually knows, is persuaded of, convinced, no question about. In Romans eight thirty eight, he says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So can you be sure of that? Can you be sure that nothing's going to happen that will separate you from him? You can be sure of that. And the longer you walk with him, the more sure of his presence in your life and his power being manifest in your life is going to be evident. Another great passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and a bunch of ifs in this chapter. Pretty powerful thing to consider here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12, where Paul says this, and there was this question about whether there was the resurrection of the dead or not. And he says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. So if the dead don't rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. So there's a lot riding on, not just on Jesus coming, born of a virgin, living a sinless life, dying on the cross, being buried. He has to be raised from the dead or the deal's not complete. So if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also in vain. You got nothing. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In other words, people are already dead, then they're in trouble. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, We are of all men the most pitiable. The point is we are not pitiable because it is not just in this life that we have hope. We have hope in the hereafter. We have hope of heaven with God for eternity because of what Christ has done and that he was actually raised from the dead. Philippians chapter 4, if you'll turn there, verse 6. And it's interesting how the Bible is replete with verses about worry and fear and anxiety. He says here, be anxious for nothing. Now that nothing, if you look at the original on nothing, it means nothing. That means don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So if you've got something you're anxious about, the way not to be anxious about it is to go with Him, prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, And Tell him what the issue is it is amazing when you turn it over to God and trust him with something if he's got it You don't have to worry about it And you can thank him before he even does what you have asked him to do because you trust him and the peace of God Which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus? So how do you know if you've stopped being anxious number one? You're gonna feel different because what? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, how in the world can you have peace when you were anxious and now all of a sudden you're not anxious anymore because the peace of God that no one can explain passes all understanding, is keeping your heart, guarding your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Turn it over and that's what will happen. Philippians chapter four, verse 11, just a few verses down. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So you say, well, what if I end up with nothing but food and clothing? This is not very popular for a lot of people, but if you end up with nothing but food and clothing, God has delivered what he promised. And at some level, we have to get to the place, like Paul is describing personally, that he has learned... It took some time here, obviously. He says, I know how because I have learned, and that's a process. And so you end up, you say, well, that's all I got. You say, well, I'm homeless. The scripture doesn't say anything here about having a place to live necessarily because there are tons of people in the world who don't even have shelter. But he does promise food, and he promises clothing. And with that, to be content. You say, well, that's not possible. I couldn't possibly be content with almost nothing but food and clothing. Believe it or not, for some people, it's harder to be content with abounding blessing. Because the more you have, the more you want, so it can be on both ends of the spectrum. The only way you can do it in the middle or either end of the spectrum is verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, that verse gets pulled in a number of different contexts, but what is it applying to? About being content, about abounding, about being abased, about learning to live this way and being content. So, the only way you're going to pull this off, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hebrews chapter 2, a very interesting passage here in verse 14 lays out something that I think we all know, but it literally states this. Hebrews 2.14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. In other words, we're physical. He took on flesh and blood, born of a virgin, man, God, God, man, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, I don't identify with this very much because it's not my reality. I don't live in fear of death all the time. I think about it every once in a while. Unless Jesus returns in my lifetime, I know that I will die. But I also know where I will be when I die. But for people who don't have that assurance, they say, what if I die? And it's really not an if, it's just a when. And what happens to me? What if I don't end up the right place? You have more control over that than you realize. You can make a decision about eternity, where you're going to spend eternity, and not be one of these people who have been released, those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. In other words, just almost bound up with a fear of death. Enough already. Why live your whole life fearing that you're going to die? You can't leave the house. You're afraid you're going to get germs. You're afraid you're going to get hit by a car. You're just going to live in fear. What if, what if, what if, what if? You don't have to live that way. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things... He had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So he knows what we go through. He knows what we face. Tempted in all manner of sin, yet without sin, he understands what it is to be shot at by the enemy. Now let me just kind of insert this one a little bit. This is Hebrews chapter 10. Down in verse 24, these verses don't hit a lot of people until times like this, and he says, verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. We just take gathering for granted. Well, we can go to church, and you've heard me say this who knows how many times. Biblically, it is impossible to go to church. Church is not a place. Church is a people. And ultimately, church is not even just a people. It is a person. It is Jesus Christ. But people are going to gather. The closer you get to Jesus, the more he is going to draw you together with a body of believers. Now you can't live that way every day, all the time, but periodically we gather. There are places in the world where they would love to be able to gather without persecution, without fear, without the threat of imprisonment or death. This day, I think the number usually daily is about 500 people who are martyred for their faith. And some of those people get arrested or killed because they simply choose to gather. So as soon as you have the opportunity, don't miss out on the opportunity to gather, to be with other believers. As challenging as it is, you think, well, I'm gonna be with a bunch of, bunch of crazy people if I go to some church, gather at some church. Yeah, and you're gonna be one of those crazy people we have to put up with, but that's okay, that's part of the plan. In 1933, after taking the oath of office, Franklin Delano Roosevelt delivered his inaugural address. And what people remember about this address about as much as anything, This is quoting the speech. He said, so first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Now you say, well, yeah, he's talking about fear and that's the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. But actually, that is not the only thing we have to fear. Because even if you conquer a fear, there are other enemies that you have. There is plenty to fear other than fear, that's why people fear. Do you have a relationship with God? You say, well I'm not going to be afraid of that anymore. You have to have a reason to not be afraid of that anymore for that fear to go away. Many people know that they have no lasting relationship with God or they fear that the one they think they have is not secure. They think I'm being a good person, will that be enough? And as I've said repeatedly as well, being good is never bad. It's just not going to be good enough. You cannot pay for eternal life. You cannot put a down payment. You can't make payments. You can contribute nothing. You have to come empty handed and say, God, I have less than nothing to offer you, but I'm going to accept your gift of eternal life that you bought and paid for when you died on the cross, buried, raised from the dead. And I want that gift. I want you to live in and through me. That's where the fear goes away. There's a character, Chicken Little, and the chicken in the story goes around saying what? The sky is falling. If you read, I mean, it's not to be negative here, but if you, if you want to read Revelation 6 sometimes, the sky is going to fall, actually. And you say, well, what if the sky actually falls, and I'm alive when that happens? You've got to have a relationship with God, and that will get you through. The psalmist, what did he say? Yea, through I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. And as a Christian in the New Testament, he's not just with us, he's in us. You say, but you're still facing the valley of the shadow of death, but not by myself. I don't have to fear any evil because he's with me. He is in me. I'm a believer. Does that make me better than anyone else? Absolutely not. It just means I have the assurance that the God who created the entire universe and holds it together cares about me, loves me, has a plan and a purpose for me in this life, and has a plan and a purpose for me in the next. Interesting thing, and this let me try to explain this a little bit. We live every day live. For a period of time here, if you're watching any sports, you're watching, you, you turn it on, and you're like, whoa, it's a ball game. And then you look up in the top right-hand corner, and what does it say? Replay. So it's from years ago, something else, highlights, whatever. It's replays. For us, we live life live. It's happening. But with God, every day, it's kind of like a rerun. Now, how is that possible? He has not only seen it all from the beginning to the end, he actually is the beginning and the end. Revelation twenty-two, thirteen 13 says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So God sees the whole thing, it's finished, it's done. He said, but I'm living it. Yes, and he already knows the choices you're going to make. He knows how it's going to end up. He knows who's going to say yes to him, who's going to say no. He knows who's going to be in heaven, who's going to be in hell. You say, well, then I don't have a choice. You still have a choice. You got to make that choice. You say, but what if it's already been predetermined? Somehow, God knows what you're going to do before you even do it. But do what he's telling you to do so it turns out his way. Richard will be back
0: in a moment to wrap up today's talk. But first, I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. Let's be honest. Real life isn't about living some highlight reel for others to see. Most people have deep hurts, questions, and struggles well we get it and we want to help you in any way we can so let's keep this conversation going you can give us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website richardellistalks.com you can even put in your prayer request right there on the prayer wall call us at 855-6-RICHARD or online at richardellistalks.com and now let's get back to richard with a final word on today's show
1: Now as we shut down here today, Numbers chapter 6, go all the way back to Numbers in the Old Testament. I don't pray this prayer a lot with you all, but I'd like to pray it today. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. So this was a prayer that he gave to Moses and told Aaron and his sons, pray this. And this is the prayer. The Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace so they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them so that was their way of putting his name on the children of Israel and God did bless them and he wants to bless us is his name on you is he in you When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, the what ifs become what if. There are no ifs, it's just a question of when. And we have answers to the when things happen, what we're gonna do, where we're gonna be when those things happen. So if you wanna eliminate the ifs, establish and maintain a relationship with Jesus Christ because that is what will change your life and how God will use you to change the world.
0: Thanks for listening today to Richard Ellis Talks. We're confident that the program blessed you, and we want to hear about it. One way is to give us a call and let us know. The number is 855-6-RICHARD. Another way is to drop us an email. Jump on over to our website, richardellistalks.com, and click on the Connect tab at the top. We'd love to hear from you. And while you're there at the website, there's a ton of great stuff there just for you. Things like all of the talks from Richard, a prayer wall where you can leave your prayer request, and a whole lot more. Check it out, richardellistalks.com. Finally, we love doing this program for you, but we're so grateful when you hop on board to help us with the cost. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD, or you can contribute through the website. It's easy and much appreciated. 855-6-RICHARD, or richardellistalks.com. Until next time, God bless you, and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.